GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, Canada no longer sets the global market for flax. We'll hear from Chuck Penner with Left Field Commodity Research. He provided the flax market outlook during the Sask Flax annual meeting in Saskatoon earlier this month. And as Saskatchewan flax acres have declined in recent years, this has had a negative impact on revenue for the Flax Commission. Board Chair Gregory Sundquist will join us to talk about that. In other stories today, lower North American cattle numbers and a good demand for hamburger are keeping slaughter cow prices at good levels. We'll hear from Ann Wasco, who is a market analyst with Cattle Trends and Gateway Livestock. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg will join us as well. He'll provide his weekly overview of the wheat market, which was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. And Environment Canada's senior climatologist says the mild January weather in southern Saskatchewan will change drastically near the end of the week. David Phillips will be on today's program. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we have a mainly sunny sky here in the Yorkton area right now, but our temperature is still a little on the cool side. Yeah, our high for the day has uh, long since been reached. Uh, we were at uh, minus 9, looks like. Uh, we held there actually for a few hours overnight. Most of the night we were sitting around minus 9. Since then, it's just been a very gradual decline, a little more of a sharp decline right around uh, 8 to 9 o'clock. Lost a couple of degrees in that hour. The frontal boundary has dropped south, and it's now sitting just south of the border. So we are solidly on the cool side. It's a bit of a taste of the cool air. It's not the core of the cool air. That's still to the north. But it's a taste. It is certainly cooler air. And because we're in that cooler air, we're not really doing any rising for the afternoon. Uh, there is some snow around, uh, a lot of cloudiness here and there. It's a broken cloud deck. Uh, the snow is mainly, though, closer to the center of the storm. And the storm has made it into North Dakota. So most of the snow is following still quite a bit ahead of the storm, too, over central and eastern parts of Manitoba. Um, but the the back edge of it has uh, a few flurries here and there. So our usual forecast, there will be a couple of flurries around. We've had um, on and off flurries through the morning and now the afternoon, uh, m- much more off than on. Uh, but we'll still keep the chance for a flurry or two through the air. And I think we've leveled off. We're not going to move a whole lot more through the day. We're not going to drop much more, but nor are we going to rise much more. We'll be sitting right around minus 16 within a degree or two uh, for most of the afternoon. Tonight, we'll start the night there, minus 16. We may lose a degree in the early evening, may drop 17, minus 18, but then we rise. And by morning, we're back up to around minus 11. Hey, guess what? A few flurries in the air, and again, no significant snowfall from that. Flurries wind down early in the day tomorrow, a lot of cloudiness up to minus 8. And then finally, a bit of a different forecast. The problem is the different forecast actually includes uh, some measurable snowfall. It'll set up on Thursday. A uh, tricky forecast because of the track of the storm. The... uh, 
it's just warm enough as it tracks in that we are going to get into the warm air briefly. The storm is dropping in from central Alberta and then almost right overhead. The, the storm track, if I, if I had to draw a line, the line would probably cross right over the Orkin area. The cold air, as a result, stays to our north. The rain that I'm going to mention, not getting into Hudson Bay. It's snow there. It's all snow. Farther south, we'll likely see a period of rain almost anywhere. Yorkton area right on that cusp, but one or two degrees with this warm air surging ahead of the storm. And when I say surging, I don't mean we're going to be warm on the ground. I mean a lot of warm air just in the atmosphere as a whole, warm enough to basically create a warm enough layer for rain to fall. So when the temperature gets above freezing at the ground, that warm layer, which is producing rain, falls as rain versus cooling off where we might get into a mixture. And I think a mixture is a big concern tomorrow because we are getting above freezing. Um, areas north could get a little freezing rain from this. But we get in some snow, and at first the snow is steady enough and heavy enough to produce several centimeters, a quick two to four centimeters through the morning hours on Thursday. And then midday, early afternoon, we'll see that change over to rain. Very wet snow will basically stop accumulating and may fully change over, may be into that mixture even where it doesn't quite change over. You can't tell if it's rain or snow. Might have that for a few hours too. And then go back over to snow. Not much more accumulation. Most of that occurs on the front end of the storm. One degree the high on Thursday. By Thursday night, Thursday evening, midnight, 1 a.m., we're minus 3, minus 4. By the time you get to 6, 7 o'clock Friday morning, we're closer to minus 20. The cold air is going to really drop in in the last couple of hours of the night, Thursday night. A quick freeze of any uh, wetness on the ground. And we only make it back to minus 16 through the day. Quite windy as well. So wind chill Friday, maybe under minus 30. Sunshine on Saturday. We settle into this what looks to be a colder pattern for the weekend and early next week, minus 22 of the sunshine Saturday. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 17 degrees. Swan River, minus 16. Dauphin, minus 15. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, minus 12. Roblin, minus 14. Regina is at minus 9. Saskatoon, minus 10. Hudson Bay, minus 16. Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head, minus 11. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 14. The Yorkton-Melville region has a partly sunny sky, a north-northwest wind at 13 kilometers an hour. 79% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 16 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 24 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 1 degree and dropped to a low of minus 10 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 11. The normal low is minus 23. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.39 this morning, and it will set at 5.25 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was McCreary. It got up to plus 2 degrees. The cold spot was Kelsey Dam at minus 35 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Maple Creek at plus 2 degrees. The cold spot was Stony Rapids, which got down to minus 36 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. 
Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Canada no longer sets the global market for flax. That distinction now goes to Kazakhstan and to a lesser extent Russia. Those two countries now dominate exports to the European Union and China, while Canadian flax exports are mainly to the United States. Canadian flax quality still leads the way, but Kazakhstan and Russia do better on price. It could take 13 or $14 a bushel to be a low-cost competitor for flax. Chuck Penner with Left Field Commodity Research provided the market outlook during the Sask Flax annual meeting in Saskatoon earlier this month. Canada is no longer the key to the global flax market. So let's adjust our expectations to what we what we think we can do. I think there's a there's still strong opportunities and it's not again not irreversible, but that ship has largely sailed. And flax farmers in Kazakhstan are now very used to growing the crop. It's not like they, you know, they just, you know, grew it one year and it, they've been doing it now over a number of years and same thing in Russia. Uh, so th- those kind of countries are going to be a strong competitor. So we need to buy back market share to some degree. It's it's a quality issue. It's a quality thing as well, too. So I think Canadian flax can command a premium. But how much of a premium is that? So we need to buy back market share if we're going to do that. The question is, will those prices be satisfactory for farmers here? Or, or will they just look at other options? And, and again, I'm not saying one is good or bad or, or whatever, but that's just the reality of uh, when people uh, look at uh, markets. Penner believes there will be another decline in Canadian flax area this year, meaning it could fall to levels not seen since the 1950s. I think in the North American market that will be supportive for prices, but it's not going to necessarily force Chinese buyers or European buyers to say, oh no, we better raise our new crop bids because we're not going to be able to get Canadian flax. They've learned uh, that they can make do with, uh, with Russian or Kazakh flax. So even if we drop acres, that doesn't necessarily trigger an increase in prices. So I wish I had better news for flax. I really do. Because, again, I, I've always wanted it to work. And uh, so not writing it off, um, but it's going to be a tough slog. Uh, what I would basically, uh, in technical terms, that would be the that would be a way I would see for the for the next year or so anyway. Chuck Penner is a market analyst with Left Field Commodity Research. His comments come from his market outlook at the Sask Flax annual meeting. Meanwhile, as Saskatchewan flax acres have declined in recent years, this has had a negative impact on revenue for the Flax Commission. Sask Flax board chair Gregory Sundquist says the loss of revenue and the departure of executive director Wayne Thompson has forced them to make some tough decisions. Sunquist says Sask Flax had already announced it has entered into a new management collaboration with Sask Canola. And he says a resolution passed at the AGM states Sask Flax will seek input throughout the year on restructuring the flax levy to a percentage-based system of 0.5% of gross sales effective August 1st, 2024. Well, currently our levy is $2.36 per tonne. And as our tonnage goes down, that has a major impact on, on the income that we receive. Prices have moved quite a bit since that levy was, was set. Like we're, well, last year was 45. This year we're down to 17 bucks. Um, 
So if we go to a percentage-based levy system, we have the ability to reflect the value of flax. And that value of flax will also determine the value or the amount of income that comes to the commission. Sunquist pointed out the resolution is taken under advisement and will be the starting point of conversations with levy producers this year. Especially on something as important as a levy increase, we have to work with our levy payers to find out what they, if they think it's appropriate or if they don't, and what's the appropriate level of that, that percentage of, of levy if, if we go forward with that. Sunquist said even with its challenges, he believes flax is a good crop option for growers. Flax is a good, has a good net return. It's a little cheaper to grow at uh, 12, 15, 20 bucks if you can get a decent yield and there's some great varieties coming out that you, you know, I've talked to people that have had over 40 bushels an acre this year. It returns some pretty good money. There's issues with flax straw, I understand that. But it's a good crop for rotation. It has a good rot- return with it. And if we can increase the demand, I think it'll be a very profitable crop for Saskatchewan farmers. The canola and flax levies from producers will continue to be collected separately, and Sask Canola and Sask Flax will maintain individual board of directors as well as separate governance structures. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. It's been nearly two years since the first in a series of five separate announcements were made regarding plans to build or expand canola crush facilities in Saskatchewan, largely in response to low-carbon fuel policies driving demand for canola oil. Announcements are one thing, but actual construction is another. While Cirrus Global Ag has since suspended its plan for a new canola crush plant at Northgate, Saskatchewan, Cargill, Federated Co-op slash AGT, Richardson and Viterra are all moving ahead with construction. Altogether, the four projects are projected to boost crush capacity in Western Canada by at least 6 million metric tons per year, a 50% increase. In addition to crush capacity, there's also been a series of announcements regarding renewable diesel production facilities that will use the new canola oil supply driven by lower carbon fuel policies. Five new products for corn and three for soybean crops have passed a market access review completed by the Market Access Committee established by the Grain Farmers of Ontario and Soy Canada. With 70% of Ontario's soybeans exported along with a significant amount of corn, Maintaining market access and preventing risk is important to get the most value for Ontario-grown corn and soybeans. The new corn products, Insight, V10504FS Lumisend Pro, Viltima DLX, Viraxor Complete, and Zolera FX were assessed based on the MRL profile and ancillary information of the active ingredients reviewed. For soybean, Insight, Viraxor Complete, and Zelterra were assessed in the same way. For both crops, any trade-related disruption risk was deemed acceptable when used according to label directions. 
Prince Edward Island potato farmers say a new report on how Ottawa dealt with an outbreak of potato wart shows the 2021 decision to halt exports to the United States went too far. Farmers also say they want remaining restrictions lifted for farms where the soil-borne fungus has not been found. The report from the International Advisory Panel on Potato Wart found that while potato wart has been identified in clusters, most of Prince Edward Island is considered a pest-free area. John Visser, a potato farmer and chairman of the PEI Potato Board, says the panel's report shows that Canada's management of the outbreak was an overreach. Canada's Ritchie Brothers has sweetened the cash component of its buyout offer for IAA Incorporated by 28%, valuing the U.S. auto retailer at $5.94 billion U.S., and also secured the backing of a key IAA shareholder, which had questioned the initial offer. The latest cash and stock offer at $44.40 U.S. per share will allow Ritchie Brothers to tap into a growing market for heavy machinery and equipment, salvaged cars, trucks and motorcycles, as well as auto parts. Chicago-based IAA's online auction systems specialize in the marketing of total loss, damaged and low-value vehicles and equipment. Meanwhile, Burnaby, B.C.-based Ritchie Brothers operates online and live auction markets in several sectors, including farm equipment, for which it has five live auction facilities in Western Canada and seven in the United States. For the first time, BASF has been named one of Canada's top employers for young people by MediaCorps. The award recognizes BASF's ongoing commitment to supporting young professionals entering the workforce and its initiatives to retain top talent within the organization. MediaCorps, the country's largest publisher of employment periodicals, cited BASF Canada for its comprehensive employee development programs that aid young talent who are in the early stages of their careers. Programs include a development program with rotational roles, paid internships, co-op and mentorship opportunities, training programs, tuition assistance, and subsidies for professional accreditations. On an annual basis, BASF Canada offers approximately 150 internship opportunities and up to nine positions in the company's professional development program, most of whom are then hired for permanent jobs once their internship is completed. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's partly sunny and minus 16 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Lower North American cattle numbers and a good demand for hamburger are keeping slaughter cow prices at good levels. 
Ann Wasco is a market analyst with Cattle Trends and Gateway Livestock. Slaughter cow prices here in Western Canada are going to average over a dollar. That's also the highest January prices we've seen on cull cows since, say, 2016. So it kind of tells me demand is strong for this lean trim or manufacturing cow beef, whatever you want to call it. It goes largely into the hamburger market or the, or the further processing markets. Wasco notes cow kill numbers are running ahead of last year's pace, which saw a 4% overall increase in 2022. The bids for feeder cattle are also very good for this time of year. You know, the eight to nine weight feeder cattle uh, averaging around 248, that's an average. That's, that's about $60 a hundred higher than this time last year. And it's a record high for January. We've never seen these kind of prices in January. And lightweight feeders, you know, the five to six weights, you know, over 310, I think will be the average here in the West. And that's also a new price record for this time of year. That's cattle market analyst Ann Wasco. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 157.25, down 22. April live cattle trading at 160.65, up 10. March feeder cattle trading at 183.22, down 5. April feeder cattle trading at 187.72, down 20. February lean hogs trading at 77.12, down 45. April lean hogs trading at 85.15, down 30. And that's the livestock market conditions. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Wheat markets were volatile last week following contradictory statements from Russia about them maybe cutting exports, but then again, likely not. In the significant purchases and trades, Algeria bought almost 600,000 tons at around $334 a ton. This was likely either from Russia or the Balkans. Thailand bought 60,000 tons of Feb-March shipment feed wheat at $340 a ton, and 60,000 tons of July feed wheat at $325 a ton. Russia and Ukraine were excluded from these tenders. The Philippines bought around 110,000 tons of April-June feed wheat from Australia. Tunisia bought 125,000 tons of durum at $489.50 a bushel. U.S. commercial wheat sales were above expectations at 473.1 thousand tons. Total U.S. wheat sales are now 15.5 million tons, which is 6% less than last year's pace compared to the USDA's expected 3% decline. In some of the most important news that happened last week, we're going to start briefly in Russia today, as there were conflicting statements from Vladimir Putin and his ag minister last week, which gave the market a bit of volatility. On Tuesday, Vladimir Putin alluded to the potential of restricting Russian exports to achieve, and I quote, stable reserves. This was contradicted by Russia's ag minister saying they had no plans to cut export quotas. It is possible that inclement weather has hurt their winter wheat crop, and Russia is planning for that. It's possible. They could also be using exports as leverage in the ongoing war. 
We think Russia harvested a massive crop last fall, and we doubt that restrictions will be implemented. With all that said, this situation will need to be watched closely. Okay, over to Canada. Canadian weekly exports continue to be strong. Exporters shipped another 499,000 tons of wheat last week, for a year-to-day total of 9.1 million tons. Weekly export amounts continue to indicate that we will well surpass the AAFC's projected 18.9 million ton export number. Most of the wheat exports were out of Vancouver, where there is another 290,000 tons of visible supplies ready to be shipped. The AAFC is predicting that Canadian non-Durham wheat seeded area in 2023 and 24 will be expanded by 4% from last year to 8.2 million hectares. This is very close to our early estimates for next year's acreage. For Durham, Canadian weekly Durham exports were 167.3 thousand tons, which makes for a season total of 2.3 million tons, 88% more than last year. While the Great Lakes are closed and exports to Europe are limited, the recent drop in freight values caused Canadian Durham from the west coast to work well into the Middle East and Northern Africa. With that said, there is 111,000 tons of Durham supplies sitting in Vancouver, ready to export. Tunisia's Durham purchase was interesting. Tunisia bought 125,000 tons of February-April shipment Durham on Friday. The average price was 492 US dollars a ton. This was 17.4 or 17 dollars and 40 cents US dollars and cents per ton less than their last purchase on December 16th. This backs off to about 14 Canadian dollars and 45 cents a bushel at the elevator in Saskatchewan. This is down by just 24 Canadian cents from what we estimate their last tender calculated back to Saskatchewan as. The small decrease in price is because of the 31% drop in freight values from last month. Viterra reportedly won 25,000 tons of this last Durham tender. Durham bids in Saskatchewan were unchanged from last week at $13.70 a bushel. We are 50% sold our Durham and are inclined to finish Durham sales at about $14 a bushel. In the U.S. The drought in the U.S. Midwest continues to subside as additional snow in Kansas alleviated the intensity of the drought there. The U.S. winter wheat crop under drought conditions fell to just 59%. U.S. basis levels for hard red spring wheat decreased in both the Gulf and PNW as exporters anticipate strong demand for U.S. spring wheat. In Australia, wheat futures in Australia ended the week just above the contract lows of last week. The cash market in Australia will be slow next week as many of their buyers will be celebrating the Lunar New Year. The Durham crop in Australia was quite strong. Some say that Australia has produced 400,000 tons of Durham this year. In Argentina, there was limited news from Argentina last week. Some private estimates for Argentina's wheat exports are dropping to just 5 million tons compared to USDA's 7.5 million ton estimate. The USDA's number is based on 12.5 million tons of production, which could be upwards of 1 million tons too high. Over to the European Union. 
The French Ag Ministry raised their forecast for French wheat exports outside of the EU by 300,000 tonnes to 10.6 million tonnes, up 21% from last year. July to January French wheat exports were 7.5 million tonnes. Strong exports to China and Morocco have prompted two of the last export forecast increases. Higher exports will help further decrease ending stocks to about 2.8 million tonnes, which is 16% less than last year. The French Agmen raised Durham exports to EU countries to 820,000 tonnes, while Durham exports to non-EU countries was unchanged at 110,000 tonnes. In the Black Sea, we already noted about Vladimir Putin and his Ag Minister's conflicting comments about wheat exports. We'll continue to watch this situation closely. Otherwise, there are 121 ships waiting for inspection in Turkey. 28 of them are loaded with agricultural products, and 93 are empty. Average wait times are between 2 and 5 weeks. The pace of shipments is slowing, but the number of ships indicate buyers obviously think that the risk and expense of buying Ukrainian grain is worth it. There's interesting news from Egypt. The Egyptian government said that they plan on importing 4 million tons of wheat in this coming year for its subsidized bread program. This is a 5% decrease from 2022. It is also planning on purchasing 5 million tons of local production, up 40% from last year. The local procurement price was set at 1,250 Egyptian pounds, which is 44% more than last year, but is 25% down from last year in US dollar terms because of the decrease in value of the Egyptian pound. The government also announced that they would raise the share of people who receive subsidized bread by 10% to 80% of the population. It was also said that GASC would hold weekly tenders using the $380 million that was obtained from the World Bank. The money amounts to just under 1 million tons of wheat, and it was not mentioned when these weekly tenders would start. In the coming week, the Black Sea will likely continue to weigh on nearby cash prices. The funds have short positions in most major wheat contracts, and a stimulus is needed for them to start covering these. At the moment, we don't see what this would be, and without a reversal in Russian politics or some significant risk to Northern Hemisphere crops. We would watch wheat prices to look at finishing wheat sales at about $12 a bushel. While there is still upside potential in the wheat market, Political uncertainty also poses downside risk. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 797.20, down $9.50. May canola trading at 795.70, down $10.70. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 904 and a quarter, that's up 16 and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 836 and a half, up 17 and a half cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 735 and a half, up 15 and a half cents. 
March corn trading at 6.76 per bushel, up nine and three quarters of a cent. March soybeans trading at 14.88 and three quarters, down one and a half cents. March oats trading at 3.73 and a half, up two and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Environment Canada's senior climatologist says the mild January weather in southern Saskatchewan will change drastically near the end of the week. David Phillips says cold Arctic air will push south as early as Friday. I think people were frightened when they, heard, they, they saw what happened at the end of November and the beginning of December last year. Oh, it turned brutally cold, and, and that has followed a, a, one, a, a fabulous fall that was warm and longer and everything like this, and it was a real shock to the system to go from unseasonably mild conditions to deep dead of winter cold, and we just had been not been acclimatized, particularly on the prairies. But you're right. I mean, the last month has been kind of an almost an atmospheric gift from around Christmas time to now. Temperatures have been on average, I would think about, you know, more than, than three degrees, maybe four degrees warmer than normal. And that's really been right across the prairies. And, and you know, it's all a matter of where the winds come from. Or December, they were coming from the north, from the Arctic, from Siberia. And then, but really from late December right through to all of January so far, uh, they were coming from the Pacific, Pacific air just coming. We heard about atmospheric rivers in California. Well, that warm, mild air was making it across almost Chinookish kind of weather, but just day after day. And um, But what was sort of interesting that it, it was still humid in the sense that the air was moist, and as you saw, a lot of fog and freezing fog and hoarfrost, and it was sometimes a beautiful scene on the prairies, but it wasn't that sort of sun and blue sky and white puffy clouds. It was it was pretty it was pretty moist. But of course, you know, we sometimes can't hold on to that good weather and as some people say, oh, you know, all the good things have to come to an end. Well, it looks like this week we're going to see a dramatic change in direction of the winds where the weather's coming from from the west to the Arctic, from the Arctic, polar, or Siberia, whatever you want to call it. It's coming from the, the high north, and it is coming down. That cold air is like molasses. It's thick and dense. It hugs the ground, fills all the nooks and crannies, and boy, we're going to see temperatures just dramatically change from, you know, in Regina, we might see on Thursday a high of minus one. My gosh, that's nine degrees warmer than normal. Well, by the next morning, the following morning, on Friday morning, we could see minus 27. So what a drop. That's almost like uh, 26 degrees in in about 24 hours. Now, it won't be a record cold when this cold finally does arrive. I mean, we've seen temperatures back in 1950 and also 2004 that were minus 40s. So this won't be setting any records for that cold. But boy, talk about a punch in the face. It will just be a shock compared to what you've had. Now, the other thing, though, is the sun will appear. I mean, with cold Arctic air, you get that blue sky and that sunshine. Hey, not a lot of calories of heat in that sun, but it still will be bright, and you could see from horizon to horizon. So, so that would be the offset of, of the pretty, uh, pretty cold. We don't think it's going to be as cold as it was in early December when we saw temperatures that got down into the minus 30s. And there was even a day where it got minus, I think, 33 for the afternoon temperature, which was brutally cold. 
So I think the cold will not be as harsh, and it may not be as long-lasting. It won't go on for three weeks. It might be a week or 10 days, and then I think things will begin to moderate. So it is, it is the coming from Siberia. It is cold, and if misery enjoys company, well, then everybody's going to be in that situation in Western Canada, from British Columbia to the, to the Arctic to, to all of the prairies. It's going to be a real change of air mass from, from balmy and mild and moist at times to cold and dry and sunny with this Arctic air coming. So can't prevent it. You can't. I suppose this is a good time to get away. If you could get away from it, travel, go to Honolulu or Arizona or someplace like this. But hey, it's uh, it's not record cold, but it certainly is cold. And given what we've had in January, again, we have to get acclimatized all over again to the fact that we were, you know, not necessarily wearing our parka and our long johns to now going back to balaclavas. And I, I think farmers and ranchers got a lot of work done on the around the farm during that milder conditions. But boy, this is a matter of taking it easy to endure the kind of cold, which you're famous for. But nevertheless, it sometimes is a bit of a of a hit when you uh, have had such balmy conditions and hey, it's coming back. But often the second wave of the cold is not nearly as long and as, as tough. That's Environment Canada's senior climatologist, David Phillips. Coming up in one minute's time, he has an outlook for the rest of the winter, as well as spring and summer weather. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. As you heard, Environment Canada is forecasting an end to the balmy January weather later this week. Senior climatologist David Phillips says temperatures will turn cold as early as Friday, but will not be as severe as early December and will moderate after about 10 days. The longer you look out in the future, the more uncertain it's going to be. We think that it looks like that from really February, March, and kind of early April, looks like it's going to be a little cooler on the prairies in Saskatchewan. And But again, I mean, the days are getting longer. You're getting about uh, almost two and a half minutes of sunshine a day. The sun will be a little higher in the sky. So you actually, in March, you can actually begin to feel that heat on your skin in uh, in southern Saskatchewan. So it, it doesn't seem as cold as it would be if it was, say, middle of, uh, of January. Now, in the longer term, we think that spring the period, say, from April, May, looks, uh, our model saying, kind of normal, what you normally would expect in a kind of an April and early May. And then we see in Ju- June, July, August, we think it will be the first look at it. Looks like it's going to be warmer than normal. We'll be under um, likely um, not a La Nina situation, which always makes it a little cooler out west. We'll be into more of a um, transition, a neutral, or heading to an El Nino, which tends to make it a little a little warmer. So the models seem to suggest that. I wouldn't bet the family farm on it. You know, in Canada, forecasting is, is always a tough call, but uh, we're getting it better as we go along. And so my sense is that, hey, endure the cold of February. Um, as we get into March and to April, it'll turn maybe kind of still a little cooler, but normal. And then finally, a big warm up when we come into the June, July and August. As for moisture levels come spring, well, you know, that's always the question, and it's an important question. I mean, I, I think, you know, and farmers and ranchers know you don't lose your crop in January or February, but you know, you would like some moisture. I've taken a look at the moisture on the prairies since November, so November, December, January, and, and what it's showing is 
is not too bad over most of Saskatchewan. It still looks like the southeastern corner looks like about two-thirds of what you normally would get. We're seeing some parts of the western part of Saskatchewan looks like you've had a good amount, normal or even above. Certainly around Regina, we're seeing precipitation totals about 130% of during that period of November through to this point in in January. But it's really the, the, the south sort of eastern corner, a couple of spots south of Regina that look like only half of the amount of precipitation always seems to be a struggle. But my sense is the it's never a real worry until you get until the spring. When the moisture, when the systems that come through, whether it be snow or whatever, tend to have more moisture associated with it. You know, a dry snow in January doesn't really give you very much, but a snow in March and April is usually sopping wet and uh, is really a good moisture for the soil. So my sense is it's a little too early to worry about it, and we don't, our models are just not good enough to even talk about in terms of months and months ahead. But I, I think that certainly any snows that we get from now until from, say, February on, we'll have more moisture associated, and that'll be a a good news. It doesn't look like flooding will be an issue as we speak. That's always a worry. Uh, You want to be able to get onto your field, but, of course, you want some balance here. You want to make sure that it's it's almost the Goldilocks of weather. You don't want too much uh, moisture, and you don't want too little. You like just what is normal, and it just seems to me that normal just doesn't occur as much. David Phillips is the Senior Climatologist at Environment Canada. It's now 1 o'clock and that means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries, winds east-northeast at 15 to 25 and the temperature steady near minus 16. For tonight, mainly cloudy, winds southwest at 10 to 20, the temperature rising to minus 11. For tomorrow, a 50% chance of early flurries, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 8, a low of minus 13. For Thursday, a 70% chance of snow with 2 to 4 centimeters possible, Winds west-northwest at 20 to 40, gusting to 60 at times, and a high of plus 1. For Friday, partly sunny, a high of minus 16, and Saturday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 22. In the Paw, it's minus 17 degrees, Swan River minus 16, Dauphin minus 15, Brandon, Show Lake Russell minus 12, Roblin minus 14. Regina is at minus 9, Saskatoon minus 10, Hudson Bay minus 16, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head minus 11, Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 14. The Yorkton Melville region has a partly sunny sky, a north northwest wind at 13 kilometers an hour, 79% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 16 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 24 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.